0: It's always a joy to welcome you into worship as we start a new series. I welcome not only those of you in the room, but we've always got a number of people who are joining us uh, listening or watching uh, online. And we are so glad to always have you be a part of the services. Today we begin a new series. And I'll begin with just a real simple question. How many of you are pet owners, pets of any kind, dogs, cats, birds, fish? Wow, most of you are. How many of you... As pet owners somewhere along the way have ever had to get rid of a pet because it became a nuisance, let me see your hands, I've had to do, oh wow, a lot of people have, yeah, had to say goodbye to Fido because he bit or something. Well today, we're going to be talking about pets, but specifically about pets that bite. When I was growing up, my parents, next door neighbors, actually still their next door neighbor all these years later, uh, nice, nice folks and uh it was just so out of character with who they were that they got a dog when I was in first grade. he wasn't. It wasn't that he was that big of a dog. He was big enough to scare me as a first grader. But, I mean, he was like the Tasmanian devil. He was as mean an animal as I have ever seen. And uh, he didn't have a name that matched his personality because, I mean, he wanted to kill the world. But he had such a sissy name. His name was Mr. McDuff. Hard to be afraid of a dog named Mr. McDuff. But that was his name. And he kept him on a a runner, a a metal cable that spanned the width of his backyard. And then, of course, you know, Mr. McDuff had a chain several feet long that attached to that runner, so he could just go all over most of the backyard. Well, the problem was two doors down from our house was the kindergarten building and the playground. So, you know, we were always wanting to go to the playground. We had to get by Mr. McDuff to get to the playground. And, I mean, he was just a beast. And even though he was on that chain, on that cable, he still scared the daylights out of us because it wasn't that he just barked. It was that, I want to rip your face off and eat you alive kind of kind of deal. And as a first grader, you're just like, yikes. And so I remember one day my older brother and I, we were just trying to test the water. It's like, is he just loud or is he really that mean? And so we got up, you know, we knew how far he could go. We, we got up kind of the edge of... What he could do, my brother had on boots, and he's like, I'm just going to see. And he just offered his boot out there, and the dog just went, just like tried to rip the boot off his foot, and he fell backwards and pulled it away. And we're just wide-eyed, like, wow, he really is that bad. And so, you know, we're just living in fear of Mr. McDuff going back and forth. Well, one day we go over to the playground, and I still remember so vividly, I had just gotten off the swings and was about to go into the next thing, and I looked back over my shoulder, and worst thing I could see, Mr. McDuff is coming right at me. There was nowhere to run, no time to run, and all I could think to do was to you know, put my hand down to try and keep him from biting my leg, and instead of offering my you know, leg covered in jeans, I offered him my bare arm was what I was foolishly doing, and he went after it, and it just clamped onto it. And I really honestly don't remember what happened next. I don't think I passed out, but uh, I don't remember how I got from having this crazy dog latched onto my arm to being at the doctor's office where they were sewing my arm up, but that's the next thing that I remember was getting sewn up after that, and the only other thing that I remember about that experience is that was the last time I ever saw Mr. McDuff. He went away after that. My parents didn't kill the dog. Apparently, the, my neighbors wised up to the fact that to have a pet that bites is always a liability. Somebody is always going to get hurt. And Even though you may say to yourself, well, we keep him on a chain. We keep him in a pen. We, we, we've got it under control a pet that bites is always going to wind up hurting someone. And you may say, well, what does that have to do with anything spiritual? Well, it's a picture of what we're going to talk about for the next month because we're not going to be talking about furry pets that bite. We're going to be talking about pet sins that bite. Now, when it comes to sin, we all know that there are big sins, as we would talk about them, that everybody would say, oh, that's bad stuff, and we want to stay away from that. Big, you know, the big sins murder and rape and uh, stealing things that we just go oh bad stuff never want to do that absolutely but then there's a whole other category of sins these are the we know they're wrong but they're really kind of more acceptable sins and the truth of the matter is we sort of feel like everybody does them so I mean can it really be that big a deal to God and so We tend to make some of these sort of our pet sins. We know when we're in Sunday school and we're in church, we would say, oh, yes, those things, those are wrong, and we shouldn't do them. But when you really get down to it in how you live your life, these are the things that some of them we make an excuse for, and we sort of let it be a little pet sin that we know it's not good, but we keep it on a chain. We keep it in a fence. And you see, it's just a little small part of my life, and, and I keep it fenced in so that it, I don't I don't let myself hurt anybody with this. When we talk about pet sins, we're going to be talking about things like lying, gossip, anger that gets out of control, lust, things that we could go, oh, I mean, yeah, not good, but I mean, doesn't everybody do that? We're going to be looking at just the reality of of those things and how toxic they really are and how much they really wind up coming back to bite us because for however much you may think that, that that temper, that those lies, that that little thing with lust, or that, you know, I just have this one person that I gossip with. As much as you try and keep that in a fence or on a chain, you can always count on this. You keep a bad dog on a chain. You keep a bad dog in a fence there will always come a day when you weren't expecting it, he's going to get out, and somebody's going to get hurt. And I'll guarantee you this, you leave room for pet sin in your life, as much as you may think it's fenced in and chained up, it will get out, and it will bite. It will hurt you, it will hurt somebody else. And in fact, we'll see, the truth is, it's always hurting us. And so, I realize as we're starting into this, that this whole series is one of those that you're not supposed to do in today's time. This is not what they teach you to do in seminary. And, you know, pastors who are in the know, the guys that are pastoring growing churches do not want to preach the series that I'm about to preach because we're going to talk about sin and we're going to spend four weeks talking about it. We're supposed to talk about happy things and just how to be successful and happy all the time, right? I guarantee you, you could go home and Guy Smiley today, he is preaching on your best life now and just how to be happy and just blessing, blessing all the time. And we're going to talk about sin. And the reason that I'm actually excited about that is this. Real revival. Real revival always comes where people have gotten serious about their sin and truly broken about that and are willing to deal with the reality of who they are and what they struggle with and allow the power of God to come in and transform them when people stop making excuses and are willing to address real sin. That brokenness is the thing that ushers in the powerful move of the Spirit of God and real revival on a personal level and at the level of a church and a community. So I'm just asking God to do big things as we talk about real personal stuff. But as a beginning point I'm going to ask you to pull out your outlines and you'll you'll see the passage on the screen as well but the, the very first passage that you see in your outline I want us to pause and out loud pray this together. It's from the 139th Psalm. It's from David and it's just an invitation for God to search us and do a cleansing work within us. And that's my prayer for this series. And as we start the series, I want to ask you to just pray this aloud with me, the 139th Psalm. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Lord, that's what we ask, that you would search us and root out the stuff in us that doesn't please you. I heard a, a fellow pastor share a story on himself that I thought was really fitting for what we're talking about today. He said that when he was a college student, he had he was at a time in his life that he wasn't really living for the Lord, but he was in church, and on a particular Sunday, he had gone to church, and at, toward the end of the service, the pastor had said, well, I have a reading assignment for you this week. I, I, there's a, a chapter in the Bible that I want you to read, because I'm going to be preaching from it next Sunday, so... Uh, everybody sometime between now and next Sunday, be sure that you read from uh, Mark's gospel, read the 17th chapter, and then we'll be talking about that next week. So he didn't really think about it that week, and he came back the next Sunday, and as the pastor was about to start preaching, he said, well, before we begin, I'm curious how many of you did the reading assignment, just raise your hand. And he's like, I don't know why, but I didn't want to be one of the losers that didn't read, so I just, I lied, I threw up my hand that I had read it. And he said, I was kind of surprised that not many people had read the assignment for the week. He said that, you know, but a few of us raised our hand, and the pastor looked around. And he said, well, thanks for those of you who did. In fact, would you just stand? give a round of applause for those who actually took the time to do the reading assignment this week. And he said, so I'm standing, and people are applauding. And he said, I'm thinking, well, you bunch of losers. You know, y'all should have read your stuff. And he said, though, no, I'm, I'm a, a liar, you know, standing there. But I'm like, well, this is cool. And he said, I sat down, and the pastor said, now, everybody take out the pew Bibles and open with me. To Mark chapter 17, so he said, in my Bible, Matthew, Mark, Mark 10, Mark 15, 16, Luke 1. He flipped back a page like Mark 15, Mark 16, Luke 1. He said, I'm thinking, somebody tore a page out of my Bible. And he said, then it dawned on me. And the pastor goes, yes, today I'm preaching on lying. (laughs) Talk about getting called out. That is cold busted, isn't it? He's like, you know, that's a lie on steroids. When you lie in church to your preacher and church family about the Bible, that's like a super lie. Well, you know, we we do <laughs> laugh about that and and about the you know how many crazy silly ways that we can lie, and yet it really is a weighty matter, and it's it's crazy how much it's wired into who we are and how we operate. I mean, think back at to, you know, when did you first learn to lie? And in fact, let me, let me not just run there. Let me go ahead and ask this question. How many of you, by a show of hands, would just say, yes, I, I have lied? I, I have flat out lied in the past. Now, I want you to look around the room. and Keep your hands up. Look, look around. Anybody you see that doesn't have their hand up with a look of Christian love on your face, I want you to look at them, point your finger and say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Because everybody has lied, right? I think probably everybody did have their hands up. And when you think back... Who taught you how to lie? I don't think anybody had to teach us how to lie, did they? We were born. I mean, it's just one of those things that's evidence of of the original sin of mankind. Is We were just born knowing how to lie. I, I was thinking back as I was preparing the message, and one of the earliest memories that I have in my life is from when I was four years old, and it's a memory of telling a lie. And I'm sort of ashamed to even tell you the story, but... My dad had just recently opened his drug store on Main Street in Brundage. And, and so as a kid, well, I went to go to school, so I'd hang out in the alleyways and stuff while dad worked and just spent a lot of time hanging out, trying not to get in trouble. And one day I got into trouble. Uh, I was outside with my brother in the lot next door to the drug store. And uh, it's just so stupid, but it's what we were doing. The bushes in the little hedge, there were blooming, and they were just filled with bees. And so we're tormenting the bees. So we're just, I don't know why, but I was four. So we're, we're picking up handfuls of sand and trying to kill the bees with the sand. So we're just like slamming the bees with sand, which is really stupid, a good way to get stung. But we get bored with that. We can't, you know, entertain ourselves for long doing that. And I don't know what possessed me. But in the midst of grabbing handfuls of sand and hitting these bees, this woman comes walking by on the sidewalk. And I can still see it. I, I I don't know why I thought this, but I can still see her in her white dress, like a nurse's uniform, and she's just passed me by, and I'm like, I'm bored with hitting these bees, and I think, I wonder how it would feel to hit her. And I grabbed up a handful of sand, and I mean, as close as I am, or closer than I am to you, Nels, from the backside, I just covered her in sand. (laughs) That did not go well. (laughs) I I don't know what I thought she was going to do, but she didn't do it. I mean, it's like the next thing I can remember, I have been snatched up and carried in the drugstore. Everybody knows my parents. I mean, I just I remember they've got me on the on the counter of the drugstore, going, "Did you hit this woman with sand?" And I can remember going, "No, <laughs> I wouldn't do that." And of course, they know I'm lying, and they're like, "Did you tell the truth? Did you hit this woman with sand?" No, I didn't do that. They keep questioning me, trying to just get me to tell the truth. And what's so scary about the memory of that moment is, I remember as a four-year-old seeing, they're not buying it. So I figured out, I need to twist my story a little bit. I need to, I need to make my lie better. And so when they're, you, I can just see, they're just doing the parental thing. Tell us the truth. Did you do this? No. And so it finally occurred to me, I better make a better lie. And so I said, Well, I was throwing sand at bees. I might have gotten some sand on her when I was throwing at a bee. And what's really scary about that is, to some extent, the lie worked. And I didn't get in as much trouble as I thought I was going to get into. Because they were like, well, maybe it was a lie. And it worked. And as a four-year-old, I was already learning that if you'll tell the right lie at the right time life can be a little bit easier sometimes you can get out of a scrape sometimes can life be a little smoother if you'll learn to tell the right lie at the right time and friends it's like it's like smoking crack it's like the first time you use it you're hooked when you've ever lied and you know it's not that I think of myself as a liar growing up, but it's like it's just wired into our DNA. We just lie. And, and it's so easy to want to write it off and go, well, I mean, God just understands. It's just how we are. And sometimes it's just things just go a little smoother if you just slip one in there. Well, we need to back up and ask the question, you know, God isn't polling us to see what we think about lying. It's sort of the reverse of that. We look to God and say, God, how do you feel about lying? I want to tell you how God feels about lying. He hates it. In fact, it's what he says in Proverbs 22. He says, I detest lying lips. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. Proverbs 12, 22. The key word in that, say it with me, detests. The Lord, what? Detests lying lips. That word detest, you ought to underline it, because it, it gives us a real picture of how God feels about this. The Hebrew word for detest, it means to make sick, to to nauseate. It's like, you know, the, the line from the Grinch song, you nauseate me with a super nauseous nauseous. Well, that's what, you know, we laugh about that one. But that's what God says about. He doesn't just say that about lying. He says that about lying lips. He's getting back to the the source of it. God is saying, when you lie, you make me sick. That's how I feel about this behavior. It's not one of those that I go, oh, well, everybody does it. It makes God sick. Why do you think lying bothers God so much? I'll tell you two reasons. One, because God is truth. It is a basic part of his essence. God is truth and everything that he says is truth. So when we lie, every time we bend the truth, stretch the truth, we step away from God. And here's the other half of the equation. God has an arch enemy who hates him and who is always at cross purposes with him. And that enemy is a liar and he is the father of lies. In fact, Jesus, when he was talking to some of the Jews who were questioning him in John 8, said, For you are children of your father the devil, and you love to do the evil things that he does. He always hated the truth, because there is no truth in him, and when he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. You know, we may hear a sermon on lying and go, that's right. Lying is bad. I, I don't lie. But then when you look at your own life, we may need to do a, a pretty careful inspection because we may think of ourselves as people who never lie, but then when you really get down to it discover there are little ways that we don't call lies that actually that's exactly what they are. I mean, when you show up late for work, are you prone to stretch the truth, to give an excuse for why you were late, or do you just tell the truth about it? We're about to do taxes. It's about to be tax time. You tell me this. Will you on your tax form honestly report every dollar you made in the last year, or will you only report the dollars that the government can track that you made last year? You know what I'm talking about. People who, part of what they make, they make in cash, so they don't have to report it. Because I want to tell you, when you write down a number that doesn't represent everything that you made, you're lying. Will you take a friend to dinner and turn it in as a business expense? Will you shade things in a way to cover up who you went out with or what you did when you went out because you don't want to rock the boat? It comes in a lot of different forms, but these are all just different ways of lying. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to just take a look at, first of all, how we lie to make sure that we we recognize really where we struggle, but then why we lie because we want to get at the root of this thing And really allow the Holy Spirit to come in and do a work of rooting this out, exposing it, and do a cleansing work so that this is not where we live anymore. And so we're going to begin with the the simpler issue, and that is how do we lie? Just three ways from the Scripture as to how we lie. They're not a mystery. The first one is we lie to others. Uh, Jeremiah 9.5 says, everyone lies to his friend and no one speaks the truth. Doesn't that feel like he's talking in 2014? Doesn't it just feel like I mean, honestly, do not it feel like virtually everybody you know lies at some level? I, I'm just kind of blown away by how much it's just the norm. And 3,000 years ago, Jeremiah says the same thing. It's interesting, and don't ask me how they do research on this to get people to tell the truth about their lies. But people who have researched this say that the average American woman today lies three times a day. Isn't that crazy? We're talking 365 days a year that the average woman lies three times a day. That is over 1,000 lies a year. I think the average American woman in the last decade has told more than 10,000 lies. That is quite a wake of deception, isn't it? Men, can you believe that? And, and, And in the moment that we want to beat our chest and go, I'm so glad I'm not a woman. Let me just say, "Woo!" you better check the men's numbers. We are bigger liars than they are by a long shot. Women, y'all lie three times a day. Men, we lie on average six times a day. Twice as often. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's the it's the err uh, manly thing in us that we've got to lie about how big the fish was to prove we're bigger men, or you know or if it's Ladies, maybe maybe it's your fault. It must be your fault, you know. If y'all wouldn't ask us if you look fat in that dress, we wouldn't feel the need to lie and tell you no, you look skinny in that dress. I don't know what it is, but when you when you get down to it and you think about that, a thousand lies a year, two thousand lies a year. Now that's the number of lies that people are willing to admit to. It's like you wonder what the real number is. Bottom line is. We've bought into a crazy way of thinking to think that lies, we're better served to lie than to speak the truth. We lie to others. The second way we lie is we lie to God. Acts chapter 5 tells one of the most disturbing stories of the entire New Testament. It's such a a powerful time in the life of the church. It has exploded on the scene in Jerusalem, it's growing by leaps and bounds. And as always happens, where the Spirit of God is moving powerfully and where revival has broken out, there is just this overwhelming spirit of generosity and giving giving that has broken out. People are just giving way above and beyond a tithe. They're giving to whoever's in need. They're selling houses and land and they're bringing money to the apostles saying just you give it to whoever needs it because the Spirit's moving so powerfully. Well two of the people, a husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, They're a part of that movement, and and God's moving in their lives, and they feel compelled. They want to be a part of this as well, and so beyond just their financial resources, they realize, we've got a piece of land that we could live without. Why don't we sell that land and give the money to the apostles so that they can distribute it, and that's exactly what they do. And we think, that is an incredibly generous and noble thing, and it is. So they sell the land, and we don't know what happened at that point. We don't know if they made a little more than they had thought they were going to, or or just maybe having that money in their hands, that it's like, wow, that's a lot of money. But some point between the sale of the land and getting to the apostles, they change their minds on a part of that, and they decide, you know, let's give a good portion of that to the apostles, but we could use some of this money, so let's hang on to some. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, because this is a free will offering, so they just decide to pocket some of the money. So they're still good, but they go, and they give the money to the apostles. Ananias goes, and he gives them the money. And he says, we sold this piece of property, and this is all the money that we made from it. And there's this exchange with Peter. This is all the money from the land. That is it. And the Holy Spirit reveals to Peter that even though what he's done is a really noble thing, Ananias has committed a grave sin. He has lied about the fact that this was everything from the land. And Peter in Acts 5, 4 says, what made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. And in that moment, God was so offended by the lie of Ananias. Even though he's being generous, even though he's sold his land, the fact that he was willing to lie about this, God struck him dead in that moment. They carried him away and buried him. A few hours later, his wife, Sapphira, came in. And essentially the same conversation is repeated again. Peter, of course, now has inside information and he's going to just put her to the test. Is this all of the money that you made from the land? Oh, that's all of it. And Peter says in his conversations with him, he said, you didn't have to bring all the money. It was yours in the first place. You didn't have to give any of it. Why did you choose to lie? And he said, look, there, there are the feet of the men who just carried your husband out and buried him and they're about to bury you too. And in that moment, God struck her dead as well. The interesting thing that Peter says in that, you didn't just lie to men. You lied to God in this. You told God you were going to give all the money, and then you, you lied to, to your Christian community about what you did. You weren't just lying to people. You were lying to God in this deal. It's a healthy reminder of a couple of things. It's a reminder of how serious God is about lying, but it's also a reminder that when we lie to each other within the community of faith and within our small groups, and boy, there are some scary ways how we can do this, we're not just lying to each other, but in this context, we're lying to God as well. And That brings us to the third way that we lie, and that is that we lie to ourselves. This is when we've really gotten bad off. It's the natural result of lying to other people, lying to God. We need to lie to ourselves now so that we can feel okay about what we're doing. David in Psalm 119 says, I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. Throughout the 119th Psalm, which is really, really long, David is constantly extolling how the the truth of God's word has transforming power. And he he brings up the issue of, don't let me become a victim of myself that I lie to myself. Help your word to keep me centered on the truth One of the things that I run into frequently in counseling with people is how many people are willing to lie to themselves. And one of the most frequent ways that you'll hear people do that, particularly in a counseling setting, is with the line, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with drinking. Yes, I like to drink. Yes, I drink every day. I don't have a problem with drinking. Lie. I like to look at women. I like to look at women online. I like to, uh, you know, I like the beauty of a, of a woman's body, but I don't have a problem with pornography. I just just enjoy it, But I don't have a problem. Lie. Our marriage is messed up, but I don't have a problem. He does. She does. She has a problem. I don't have a problem. We're lying to ourselves. I mean, there are tons of ways that we'll lie to ourselves in order to maintain some sense of self respect and, you know, I'm the one who's right and okay here. And there's one way that we lie to ourselves. That is the most dangerous. You talk about a, a pet sin having the, the power to bite. This is the power to, to bite to the point of death. And that is when we lie to ourselves about our standing with God. And it, it disturbs me. I, I don't pretend to be able to stand in judgment of who has done this. But I am so afraid that there are people here today. People who are watching and listening online. That this is true of, of some of us that we will say to ourselves, I'm good with God. It's all good. I mean, it's not like I'm a killer. Hadn't anything worse than my neighbors. I'm a good citizen. I go to church. Got baptized when I was a kid. I'm good with God. While at the same time knowing, you know, I I don't really read the Bible or try and live by the Bible or this whole thing of the Holy Spirit. That's all pretty far. I don't really try and follow Jesus. But I'm a If I've got a name of faith, I'm a Christian. And the truth of the matter is, some people are just lying to themselves about that. I'm really afraid that there are a lot of people who go to church that are lying about that. John spoke of this in 1 John 2, 4, when he says, if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. It's just a solemn reminder. It doesn't matter. If you got baptized as a kid, and you go to church, I mean, you realize <clears throat> that being in this church today doesn't any more make you a Christian than standing in your garage would make you a Chevy. It just doesn't work that way. Unless there is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who is transforming you and who is giving direction in your life, you don't have any reason to be confident about your standing before God. And I'm not trying to stir up doubt in your heart just so we all run around going, oh, my goodness, I'm afraid I'm going to hell. No, it's just at some point we need to look in the mirror and be able to say with confidence, I know Jesus. I'm seeking today to follow Jesus. His Spirit lives in me. I'm a different person because of that. Today, there is a power that is beyond my mind that I am going to seek to follow because it lives in me and it's giving direction in my life. We can have confidence. We can rest in that. But if we don't have that, for the person who goes to church on Sunday and then checks out after we've sung a few songs and we've read some Bible, we've said a few prayers and listened to a guy talk from the Bible, and after that walks out and for the next 167 hours is free to just live life on your own terms. You figure it out, you go as you will and then come back and do your religious duty for another hour next week, you shouldn't have any confidence. In fact, you ought to look in the mirror and say, I've been lying to myself. I've been lying about being right with God, and that's the scariest lie we can tell ourselves. Well, if we're going to address this, if we're going to actually make a change, we've got to get beyond just how we lie, but ask the question of, when and why do we do this? And I, I've put in your outline the basic question of why do I lie? With a an unfinished statement there. I lie because. Now, this isn't going to come easy. It, it, i tell you what will come easy. Go home and fold this outline up. Stick it in your Bible or throw it away or whatever. That would be the easy thing to do. But if you really want to press in and walk in fullness of, of the Spirit of God just speaking in your life and powerfully moving in your life you're going to have to be willing to let him search you and show you areas of, of unconfessed sin and pet sin and let those things be rooted out and so if as you look at your life if you really are serious about that and i believe that you are i don't think most of you would be here today or be taking the time to watch online if you weren't serious about those things if you really want that i want you to have to wrestle with this question now and through the week why do I do this when do I do this and why do I do it and, and I'll tell you this is an area partly because of personality but, but spiritual gifting I hate a lie I just I can't stand to know that somebody has lied I don't want somebody lying to me I can't stand the thought that I've ever lied about anything and so this is one of those messages that I'm thinking going in I'm like okay this is one I'm, I'm pretty good with the, the, we're going to talk about stuff that I feel like I struggle with but I don't think I struggle with lying and the Holy Spirit man he is so thorough isn't he And so I'm like, as I'm preparing, I'm like, now God, if there's anything that I don't see that I'm missing, you point it out. Bam. I mean, like, that's one of those, about the time I pray it, he's just going, well, since you asked, ding, 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 let me show you. And I mean, honestly, my first response is like, I don't lie. I mean, I can't stand lying. God, oh, really? So it wasn't a lie when you said, and just bam, I mean, he just puts his finger right on it. He starts replaying conversations and and this wasn't a lie. Well... Okay, and, and this wasn't a lie. And what he's doing is he's rewinding. It's essentially the same conversation that I've had several different times and have lied just about every time. And it's with a sense of shame that I share this and I only share it to be transparent and say, it can happen in what seems like really innocent settings where you feel like, but I'm doing it for the good. The thing that God put his finger on in my life of recent lies that I've told it's the same kind of conversation again and again. I, I don't make any secret about the fact that the person that I've grown to love in the past year and have just really enjoy spending time with is Jackie Johnson. And Jackie and I spend a great deal of time together and she really has my heart. And, and you know, if somebody has your heart... That person has not only the potential to bring the greatest happiness in your life, but they can hurt you the most or make you the maddest. I mean, it works in both directions because you love them so much. You also, that runs in both directions. You get frustrated and hurt at each other. And so as happens in a normal relationship, something will happen. Something will be said, and she has just got that radar. She knows me. She can read me. And something will happen or be said, and it will hurt me, or it will make me mad in that moment. And she'll go, I just hurt your feelings, didn't I? Or, I just made you mad, didn't I? Oh, I hate when she does that. And I cannot tell you how many times I have in that moment lied and said, no. Right back to being that four-year-old, being confronted about throwing the sand Oh, no. You're lying about that, aren't you? Oh, she's a truth speaker. I mean, she'll just call it out. I'll be like, you know, the second lie. no, I'm good. I tell short lies usually one or two words, no or I'm good. And and she's great because she'll just press in and go, why are you lying? Why won't you just tell the truth? If that bothered you, why won't you just say that it bothered you? Well, thankfully, that's being worked out of me and I'm learning to quickly repent and not even have to repent to just grit my teeth and go speak the truth. But do you know why? I mean, because I've been wrestling with what I'm inviting you to do, to wrestle with why, when do you lie and why do you lie then? Do you know why I've lied in those situations again and again? Because I believed a lie. And here's the lie that I believed. I'm going to tell you because some of you believe the same lie. I believe the lie that if I will just lie and pretend like everything's okay, my lie will keep us good. Our relationship will be better if I lie to you. Now, I know how stupid that sounds, but you get it too, don't you? It's like... Okay, if I tell the truth, it's going to make waves. If I tell the truth, we're going to have something to wrestle with. We're going to... And I wind up having to tell the truth. And yes, it does make waves. And for the next 15 minutes or 30 minutes or hour or whatever, life may not be fun. And so it's like in the moment, I don't want us to have to deal with that. I don't want us to have to go through that. So we'll be better. We'll have a better relationship if I just am stoic and go, no, really, I'm good. Well, that's a lie. And the lie that I have believed is that lying to you will give us a better relationship. Lying never makes a better relationship. Lying always makes a relationship worse. For a lot of reasons. In that situation, because the other person can see that I'm lying, and if I'm not willing to be honest, comes to the point of realizing, I can't trust you. You're not real with me. When you have a problem, you can't talk about it, we can't deal with it, and so now I've put up a wall that creates a nice, safe place for resentment to build up can't believe you did that and now we can't talk it through because I've lied about even having a problem and so you just see over time instead of having a better relationship we have a worse relationship because I believed a lie and now that led me to lie. So why do you lie? Why are we willing to lie? Well, sometimes we lie because it makes life a little easier. Sometimes it it just keeps us from getting in trouble. Sometimes we lie because it helps us to get ahead. Sometimes we lie because we can't imagine how people would look at us anymore, that they would still accept us and love us if they knew about our past or if they knew what we had just done. I I came across, um, there's a website that somebody created fairly recently that's called mysecret.tv. And it's really an interesting thing. They created the website as a place that people could go and just make their most personal confessions and you don't attach your name to it so you're safe to just let it all hang out and they thought you know maybe that'll help a few people more than a million people have gone to that site and just poured out their souls to say here's where I am and here's what I've done I want to share with you three of the confessions that were made uh, on that site just to, to get a glimpse of what we're talking about first person says it's a man he says my whole life I've struggled with the truth My problem is that I hate to disappoint people. So if I fail them, I lie about it. I also lie because I'm trying to impress people or to convince people to do something that I want them to do. And I've even lied to women in the past to get them to sleep with me. Second one says this. I pretend that everything in my life is perfect. But the truth is I hate myself. And most days I wish that I would die. My family and friends don't have any idea and no one knows that I think about killing myself every single day. The final woman says, My husband thinks that I was a virgin when we were married. Not only was I not a virgin, but I had an abortion when I was 19 years old. Now we can't get pregnant. I'm afraid that God is punishing me for my lies. Please pray for me. I don't know what to do. Those are pretty poignant pictures of what happens when lies and deception are given a little bit of time. They're always like a snowball rolling down a hill, aren't they? Once you've ever given yourself permission that it was okay to lie about something, it always requires more lies, and it just opens the door to feel like it's okay to use deception, especially when, just like when I was four years old, when there's a payoff, when it actually seemed to work out. And what you see is some of the net result. I mean, somebody who's saying, my whole life is a lie. Nobody has any idea. I tell everybody that it's all okay, and they think that it's okay, and every day I want to take my own life. This woman who feels like her whole t- relationship with her spouse is based on a lie, that, that she was a virgin. and I mean, just can you imagine the guilt and the shame? That, and, and you just wonder, will this person ever be able to speak the truth and clear the air and get free from that? It's, bec- it's an open door for accusation from the enemy. This is such a progressive issue for us. And when we think about how do we get free from that, let me just lay it out this way in understanding why we are where we are and how we begin to get free. Think of it this way, that that if right here we have truth and integrity, life as it should be lived, real truth spoken, real truth lived, and then over here we have the real me, the real you. Now we know this side of heaven, the real me, is never completely here, right? Complete integrity, complete truth, always getting it right, always believing the truth and living walking in the truth. So there's always some amount of separation between truth and integrity and where I'm really living. Well, as we go through life, the further we get out here, where my life doesn't line up with the truth of God's Word and what He says about me and how I'm to be living, the further I get from integrity and truth, the more I need to lie about my life. Why? In large part, just because of this, I need to be able to at least present the, the perception to you that I'm a pretty good guy. Because, I mean, here's the thing, I pretty much guarantee you that everybody in this room, that you're right here with me, in that no matter how far in this direction I get, We all want to present the image that I'm living right here. I'm speaking truth. I'm walking in the truth. I'm living with integrity. And the problem is, the further that my behavior and my beliefs, my words get out here from that standard, the more I I have to lie. I need to lie. I mean, we're church folks. We, We can't... Have people knowing and believing that we're out here. I mean, we, we're supposed to be over there. So now I've got to present more and more of a false image of who I am. And the world sees it for what it is. That's why they all make the same accusation against us in the church. What's the world say about church people? They're all a bunch of... Everybody knows it on cue. You know what hypocrite is? It's a fancy word for liars. You say you're one thing and you live another way. That's called a living lie. I, I really don't say this at all out of a spirit of condemnation. But I just have to tell you, my heart is really burdened for us as a church. And I love this church. I am so crazy about you and just what God is doing in Freedom Church. But. I really think that it's the voice of the Spirit speaking and, and just where we are right now that is it's just sounding an alarm in my spirit about where we are. That there is something that is gradually settling in on us that is dangerous. And I'm not sure what to call it. I mean, for lack of a better term, I'll just call it a spirit of religion. But that there is something that already in this very sweet, open fellowship is starting to settle in on how we relate to one another so that you can see it and feel it on Sunday mornings but disturbingly so even in small groups maybe more so in small groups that in these places that have been created to allow us to really be honest and open and vulnerable and to say that while the standard is here, we can be completely honest about wherever we're living and get help to move back more and more toward the truth and and a life of integrity, that we're getting far more comfortable with just essentially each of us pulling the same thing I was describing, me trying to pull with Jackie and going, it's all right, it's all good. I'm good, I'm good. Instead of being open and honest and really connected, I'm seeing it. I see it in my own small group. I hear it from other small groups. And I'm not down on small groups. I'm, there's nobody higher on the concept of small group. But I am so afraid. I, I see it in churches all the time. And I am so afraid that that spirit of religion, if we're not very careful, will filter in and settle on us. And we'll just be church-going people. Who project one image. And because of the need to look and sound okay. That we'll never be real about who we are. That we won't be okay. With just speaking the truth. You don't get better. You don't experience healing. You don't have real authentic relationships. As long as you keep it all on the surface. It it has concerned me to the point that. I can tell you this about your small groups, and we resume small groups this week. There is no small group lesson this week. There is no small group lesson next week. I can tell you what's going to happen in your small group. When it comes to the lesson time, there is no lesson tied to the sermon. You're going to do in your small groups what we're going to be doing in the connection group. You're going to take time this week, every single person. If if this freaks you out, don't come to small group this week because I'm telling you it's coming. Every person, starting with your leader, is going to tell the truth of their story. You don't have to try and dig up dirt on yourself. That's not the point. It's just time that we move past the pretense and that we get honest about our lives, our past, our situations, and how we got to where we are, the good, the bad, just how we got to where we are. Next week when you come back, we're going to get gut level honest, giving everybody an opportunity to share about not your past, but about where you are right now. What are the greatest challenges and struggles that you face? What are you dealing with in your life right now? And if that just totally freaks you out, you better dodge small group for the next however long. Because we're just using that as a jumping off point to say, enough. We are not going to be people who pretend around each other and come in and only answer the safe questions. And it's like, oh sure, we'll talk about the Bible as long as we can keep it out here. But don't let me get in here and actually have to confess. I mean, just as a for instance... You want me to just flesh out what I'm talking about? If I wrote another lesson this week that was a lesson about lying, I am not going to have us go another week when we sit there and we pretend to be plastic people who look so spiritual and nobody has the guts to fess up and say, you know what, I have a major problem with lying. I find myself lying every time that I get into this situation. I have a problem and I need help. I am, I am tired of, of watching us play this game. That is not what Christian community is designed to do. If we can't be open, I mean, the truth of God's word, we've got to embrace this. And it's, it's what I'm talking about here, this whole thing of how far we get from the truth. Truth isn't a concept. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. Who he is and what he says is the truth. And getting back on track starts not with changing your behavior. It starts with changing what you believe. And when we believe the truth, it will begin to transform us. When it, I take a step back in this direction when I believe the truth. When I believe the truth, that if you confess your faults to one another and pray for each other, you'll experience healing. Somebody stopped me after the first service, pulled me aside, and said, I've got to ask you about this. I don't understand this. Why do I need to tell somebody else about my sin? That's a great question. I've got an answer for you. You confess your sins to God for forgiveness. You confess your sins to a brother or sister for healing. It's that simple. It's the truth of God's word. Is it that God can't heal me? No, it's God made me not as an only child. He made me as a member of a family where we relate not only to him but to each other. And in community, God has designed it so that I look to him for forgiveness and for healing. But he's going to express that as I confess my sin to him and to someone else. This person asked the great follow-up question. So does that mean I have to confess all of my sins to somebody else? Absolutely not. I confess my besetting sins, the things that consistently violate my integrity, that consistently pull me away from who I'm supposed to be. If I believe the truth about that, I'm going to take a step back toward the truth. If I believe the truth that my sins are forgiven and are remembered no more, I take a step back in this direction. If I believe the truth that God loves me and will never reject me, I take a step closer to the truth. If I believe the truth that I am who Jesus says that I am and not who people around me believe that I am and not who the enemy says that I am, I take a step closer to the truth. It starts with what we believe got to believe the truth the truth of god's word the truth of what jesus says about us and we've got to be willing to walk in truth we've got to be willing to speak truth we've got to stop believing lies that say if you ever got honest about what you've done and about what you're struggling with and about what you're thinking people aren't going to like you they're not going to want you around and i to tell you that's a lie People aren't attracted to you because of your strength. You get that, don't you? People connect with you because they can relate to your brokenness. I had somebody come up to me after the first service and say, I'm living a lie. I'm 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 just living a lie. I'm my life is overwhelmed with grief, and I'm not I'm just covering that up. I'm hiding it and just share it in a moment's time. Why grief is just an overwhelming thing right now. And you know what? In that moment, I mean I realized when we were worshiping here in the second service, I'm like, I feel such a greater bond and love for that brother because he shared his weakness and his brokenness with me in a minute of time. It's amazing how walls fall down and intimacy happens when we stop pretending, we stop lying and we just start speaking the truth. Most of that isn't going to happen in here on Sunday morning. It's going to happen in closer relationships. It's going to happen in safer places, one-on-one and in a a small group when you're able to say, here's the real deal. Why don't you you test the waters this week? Why don't you be real about who you are and what's going on in your life? Watch and see what happens. See if your brothers and sisters turn and run or see if they press in and hang on to you more tightly than they ever have before. You might be surprised at what happens. i close with with one final passage Jesus said to the disciples to to the Jews who believed him if you hold to my teachings that's an important phrase we leave out when we quote this passage if you hold to my teachings that means you believe them and so because you believe them you begin to put them into practice if you hold to my teaching then you're my disciples and then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free this has been a heavy subject today hasn't it I knew it would be. This is why people don't run around preaching on sin a whole lot. We're going to end on a positive note. The truth will set you free. Say it with me. The truth will set you free. Again, the truth will set you free. It will. God wants you and me to be free. There is such freedom to walk in the light, to live in the light, to have nothing to hide, to have no fear of, of covering our lives. And what if this comes unravel? Just living in the light. It's all exposed. Jesus knows it all. My Christian brothers and sisters know my life. I'm walking in the truth, nothing to fear, nothing to hide. It's all covered under the blood. I'm loved and accepted. The truth will set you free. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we choose today to believe the truth of your word, that the truth will set us free. Please today begin to set hearts free in this place. Lord, we acknowledge to you that we are people who are so... Tangled up in sin and who need desperately to be set free. Help us to do that today. I don't want anybody looking around at all. I want this to be a private moment between you and God. I'm just, I want to know, I simply want to pray for you. How many of you today would say the subject today, the issue of lying and truth has hit home for me? This is an area where I need to repent and I need to experience real heart change and life change. I really need to embrace the truth today. Would you just raise your hand? People all across the room, thank you for your honesty in that, Lord Jesus. We raise our hands as a declaration that we are desperate for you and we are asking for your help. We pray today for your forgiveness for every lie that we've ever spoken, for the ways that we pretend and live hypocritically. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, Would you come in and root those things out? Would you forgive us and change us? And would you help us, first of all, to believe the truth, to believe you and what you say about us? Would you help us to stay in the truth, reading and and rehearsing the truth of your word and living in line with that? And would you help us to be truth speakers? Would you help us not to be afraid to be honest, even when it brings conflict, even when it makes us look bad? Help us to be committed to speak the truth and we thank you for the connection and intimacy that that creates when we do that. Lord, we we trust you for that. We ask for that. Right now, just at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I know that there are lying spirits who have been personally confronted by the message today. Lying spirits who have made attachments to people who are in this room who are listening online, and right now I take the authority that's mine in Jesus' name, and I say to those lying spirits, be silent. You will release your grip on the lives of the people that you have held and influenced. You go right now to the place that Jesus is telling you to go, but you will leave these lives, these families and these homes, and not return in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill up what the enemy has vacated? Bring your love and your truth As a healing balm in our lives. And we welcome that. And pray it in Jesus name. Amen. I want to say one final word. For some. The key issue today. Is the one that I touched on. In the middle of the message. And that is the issue of. Of being religious. But having lied to yourself. About the heart of the matter. And that is about being right with God. The whole thing of trying to embrace truth. And speak truth. Quite honestly. It is not going to have effect. Or carry Anyway, it's not going to have any staying power in your life unless you have the one who is truth living inside you. Without the power of his holy spirit, I promise you, you can walk out of here, you know, committing a thousand times over. I'm going to tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth, and it will not serve you through this week. If you don't have the power of God living in you and you don't have that power without coming to a place of saying, God, I surrender. I can't clean up my act enough. I can't do what it takes to get my sins forgiven. And I'm trusting in Jesus to do that. What he did on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And I'm now inviting him, his spirit, to come live inside me, to change me and to, to direct me. And there are some people today who need to trade in religion in exchange for a life-changing relationship. And I just want to invite us to pause and, and, again, bow together. And if that's where you are, I want to invite you to, to just do that in your heart. But I, I'm just going to invite every one of us, because the prayer that I'm about to lead us in is appropriate for a believer and for somebody who's just coming to faith. Would you all just pray aloud with me, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you in control. I believe you died for me. I'm asking you to forgive my sins. Now would you live in me, taking control of me. I give you my life my present and my future have your way in me thank you for saving me lord jesus i thank you for hearing and answering our prayers we offer ourselves to you today fill us with your power fill us with your life and your truth bring much glory to yourself and to the father by what you do in us and we pray this in the wonderful powerful name of jesus and all of god's people said amen Amen.